morning. Would you locate with me Matthew chapter 5? And as you're turning there, let me say, uh, I always appreciate our worship team. Uh, obviously, they're missing a, a component this morning. Actually, a few components. But uh, one of the vocalists, uh, we know that we're missing Chris, and so he's on vacation going with his sister for her birthday on a week-long getaway. So be in prayer for him. Prayed for him this morning. They have a good trip. So I appreciate these. Uh, I call them young people. These are kids. 20-somethings, you know. All right. But we love you guys. You're 20-somethings. I was, that was me just, just the other day. Matthew 5. Uh, so Mike was up here introducing and welcoming you and talking about Memorial Day for, there for a minute. And I got to tell you, it reminded me of something. And I'll not be able to relay it. Uh, I'll get in the text in a moment. But uh, Friday was a good day. Hope you had a good Friday this past week. For me, I got to be part of the Haven of Rest uh, golf fundraiser. Uh, so it was warm and toasty, mid-90s. But uh, uh, we, we played in the afternoon. So Haven of Rest is a, a ministry here in town that's supported by a lot of churches, a lot of individuals. But they do a fundraiser in the spring, and they minister to men and women with life-dominating um, abuse, substance abuses, addictions, and it takes funds to do that, and so our tea time was 1 o'clock up in Piedmont, Southern Oaks Golf Course, appreciate them making their facility available, so I'd never been part of this event, and uh, you've heard that old, it's a beer commercial, right, I don't always that, but when I do... So I don't always play golf. In fact, I rarely, not rarely, I don't play a lot of golf. But when I do, I like to play, play golf with Christian brothers in Christ. And so I got to do that. And that was awesome. We had fun. Um, but I'll tell you, the best part of my day was the drive up there. So I had my radio on. And uh, I was almost going to flip it over to sports radio. I got about a 27, 28-minute ride. But I turned it over to Christian radio. And some songs started being played. And... And it was good. And I felt like the Lord was kind of coming there in the cab of the truck with me. And I shared with a couple folks later the most unusual thing that I saw. Uh, and you would have to see it to appreciate it. And you may not appreciate it as I did. Uh, and I'm, I'm now two or three days later. And it's not even now having the impact that it had in that moment. But I saw something I'm quite confident I will never see again. Uh, I grew up hunting. And so I heard often about turkeys that when they don't want you to see them, you'll not see them. Uh, they're wild, and, and they're very skittish and very fearful. So as I'm on 178, right, Liberty Highway, I'm getting ready to hit 85 North there at exit 21. And as I'm coming on, it's 1115, I'm, I'm, I'm on the ramp, getting on the interstate, and I mean trucks and traffic's just zooming on 85 for whatever reason. It was really crowded. And on the on-ramp, there were cars in front of me, and there were cars behind me. And as I was coming by, I saw the strangest thing between my ramp and 85. And I mean, the distance, uh, honestly, was uh, from me to that black speaker right over there. As I'm coming on, there's a wild turkey. And bless her heart, my window was up and my music was up, so I couldn't hear anything. But I know she was gobbling because her mouth was open like that, and she was terrified. She was running left, but there's Highway 85, and she was running this way, and there we were. And, I mean, she was desperate, man. You could tell she was in a total panic. And then as I got close enough, I felt sorry for her, but I couldn't just bow up, and I felt sorry for her. And then I realized there were about five or six of these little ones that wherever she was going, they were just, she was panicking, boy. I don't know what happened. There may be a dead turkey up there. I don't know. There ended up being behind me. I kind of looked, and I saw like two or three more cars behind me, and I saw a break there. I hope she caught that break. I really do. But uh, so I'm heading to the haven, and the Lord reminds me. He said, these guys that get ministered to by this ministry, kind of like that turkey, they're desperate. They need two things. If I could just get some protection, if I could just get some protection and a little bit of direction. Man, I wanted to like stop if I could talk to that turkey and say, don't go that way. Don't go that way. You need to go this way. 
But even there, it needs somebody to just jump in front of the t- traffic and take the hit. And you're like, nobody will do that. It's a turkey. And then the Lord said, it's not just about those, those guys. He said, Jeff, you were desperate. And you were getting ready to lose your life. And there was no way. He said, but I sent my son. And he gave protection. He took the hit. And he took all the hit. Why? So I can get off and go free. And I'm going to tell you, the gap between a human being taking the hit for a turkey is a big gap. Nobody would do that. You'd say, what a waste. But the gap between that is nothing compared to the gap between the Son of God becoming a human being, dying on a cross to take the hit of the wrath of God against my sin. So that hit me Friday. We had a good round of golf. We didn't win. We had fun. We went eight under. Those guys played well. I like playing with good golfers. They make you look good. Boy, the ride up was good. God was good. I hope the Lord speaks to you today. That has nothing to do with this message. So let's look at chapter 5, verse number 3. All right. What plan on saying that? So that, that takes my time right there. How long was that? Six minutes? Thanks, Mike, for uh, making me think of that while you're talking about Memorial Day and our thankfulness for our soldiers. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to stop making promises because, once again, we're doing one verse. But there's plenty here. Matthew 5, look at verse number 3. Blessed. Now, by the way, these verses we're going to look at, look at are authoritative. These are facts. These will happen. They have to happen because God says them. Jesus is God. This is his sermon on the mount. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor. Not just poor financially. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor there is the word for abject, poverty, absolute, no resources. They have no resources, but we know that it's talking about spiritual resources. Why are they blessed? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn. And we hear that like, that doesn't sound like a blessed person. That doesn't sound like the approved person, the fortunate person. That doesn't sound like a happy person. Oh, but they are. They're in the good position of life. Why? Because those who mourn, if they mourn over their spiritual poverty, they'll be comforted. Have you ever been there? If you'll ever see yourself as empty spiritually with nothing to offer God... And all you see is your sin and no righteousness and then mourn over it. Then that's how you get saved. And then once that happens, verse 5, Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Meek? He says, for they shall inherit the earth. And in today's verse, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? For they shall be satisfied. King James says, they shall be filled Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for a specific thing. They're hungering and thirsting for righteousness because they will be filled. So kind of recap, we do this each week. And there's a reason. The Beatitudes are not random thoughts. They're not just like, you know, a pearl over there and a pearl over there. And they're not even necessarily pearls on a, on a, on a string. They're more like big, wonderful, juicy grapes that are all connected and make a cluster So that's what we're looking at here. So here's what we've learned so far. Let's put it together. If you get enough of a vision of God's holiness, you'll start seeing yourself as unholy. And then you'll see yourself as empty of righteousness. I have none, absolutely none. I don't have like a little righteousness. I have no righteousness to offer to you, Lord. And then you see that sinfulness. But you don't take an indifferent attitude. Yeah, I'm a sinner. You mourn over that. You truly repent so much so that that you ask the Lord to save you from that sin. He does it. And when Christ does that, the result in how we respond to other people is meekness. And we hear meekness as weakness, and we see meek people sometimes as weak people, but actually they're the strongest kinds of people. They have the power in our relationships. They're so strong. They're so powerful. They're so in tune with the Lord, so secure, so trusting of the Lord that they really will inherit the earth. Here's how that falls out. I don't have to dominate people. I don't have to intimidate. I don't have to manipulate. I don't have to crush anyone. 
Why? Because I know the Lord's going to keep his word. I'm, I'm going to trust him to give me my inheritance. I don't have to manipulate and have my way and demand my rights. Have you been demanding your rights this week? Have you gone through the week thinking, I'm owed this. They need to. Don't they know who they are? I'm in the high rank. Or did you go through this week like a gentle breeze? Did you go through the week like a hurricane? Or did you go through the week like a gentle breeze refreshing people? Did you come on as a strong medicine with too much of the strong medicine or in the right dosage of you? Are you like a wild horse you've been living this, this past week doing whatever you want to do? Or are you like a broken horse that has the same power and still has a will of its own, but it surrenders and submits its will to the will of a master? And that is meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Because when you see yourself, you become, become aware of your emptiness and your sin and you're broken over it. You're not haughty and cocky and arrogant and prideful. You start serving other people and you, you listen to them. And you want good for them. Even if it doesn't come your way. Would you write this down as we move to today's thought. Awareness of our spiritual emptiness. When we really become aware of that creates a desire to be filled. The more we're aware of our spiritual poverty. And lack, bankruptcy. Now we want to be filled. I don't have any righteousness, but now we want to be filled with righteousness. And so that's today's text. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, Jesus promises. Three things we want to look at. Number one, would you notice with me, this is very general. There's nothing going to be like real light bulb moment here, but I have to touch it this way. Would you look, first of all, with me at the meaning of Christ's terms? That's the first thing we want to look at. Just kind of overview. What's he saying here? What, is, what, are, what are the meanings of Christ's terms? You're like, well, Jeff, is there like a special Greek word behind hunger here? Uh, no. It means hungry. Thirst means thirst. But I have to talk about it for a moment. Why? Why did Christ use, it's not just an analogy, it's a reality. So we know about hunger and thirst in the physical body, but do you hunger and thirst in your soul and the spirit for righteousness? It's the same thing. Why does he use these two words, hunger and thirst? Share this thought. Hunger and thirst are among the most intense appetites that we can ever have. Hunger and thirst, intense, strong. I, the only thing I can really think now, there are some exceptions. In my life, air, oxygen outranks it. Beyond that, I mean, hunger and hunger for food, thirst for water is probably right behind oxygen. I realize there are some times that that is not the case. There was a man who came by here the other day. I think it was Thursday. And he was homeless. And he was wanting some food. And he was really, really hungry. And we found some things and gave it to him. And you say, why didn't you just give him some money? Well, I could smell alcohol on his breath. And I'm thinking, well, he's not so poor that, that he doesn't know how to get a hold of that. And through the course of an hour or so, he admitted to me uh, that he was going to get some alcohol after eating. And so we gave him food. Um, and he acknowledged that if in the morning when he wakes up, is, if there's food available or a drink of alcohol, he's going to always pick the alcohol. So he's acknowledging. I talk, told him about Christ, but as he left, I, I, I said, I told him, I said, Greg, you're not ready to be saved. Uh, I said, you're on your way to hell. I said, but you still love other things more than you feel desperate for Christ. And he acknowledged that. And uh, he had turned away from the Lord and church back when he was 16 years old. And uh, his life shows it. So I'm not going to say that, that, that hunger and thirst for food and water outranks everything. Because I know some people have some addictions to some other things. But for the rest of us, this is, this is strong. Now having just said that, hang with me. We're at a major disadvantage. We are not going to appreciate what Christ is saying here because of how blessed we are. We live in a time and in a place. I thought about this. If we could somehow fly over the United States, if we could fly over Anderson and somehow be given x-ray vision to look under the ground, we have pipes running all through our county. Do you understand that? 2,000 years ago, they didn't have that. They would have like a hole that went down to some water under the ground. And if you want water, you go over there and get it. And when you run out, you've got to go back over there and get it. But if you're going to travel a long way, you're probably going to run out unless you have it packed on the camels. Here's my point. We can, we can live almost our whole life, and I mean rarely, rarely be really denied access to 
water or food. You are none of us right now. I can't remember the last time I was truly denied for a long, long time. We think hunger is, I'm not a breakfast person. That one day I skipped lunch, man, I got so busy. And man, it was 4 o'clock, I'm starving for a burger. Right? That's what we think. You're not starving for a burger. You're hungry. You're not starving like this. These people, when they would hear this, they would know what Christ is talking about. He's saying, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? William Barclay helps us out here. He gives us a couple of quotes. Write this first one. He says, what this is speaking of is the hunger of the man who is starving for food. I underline that, those two words, is starving. Not how we use the word, he, this guy will die. He is starving for food. And he continues, and this speaks of the man who will die. I underline those words. He will die unless he drinks. That's the intensity that we're looking at. Hold your spot there in, in um, Matthew 5. Because I want to read a passage, very familiar. Just going to hit it quick and keep moving. You guys know this. It's actually not a psalm of David. It's a psalm of the sons of Korah. Psalm 42, listen to verse 1. These are the priests. This is a branch of the priests that worked at the temple in the tabernacle. And they wrote the following. As a deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. Watch verse 2. My soul thirsts for God. Right, religion, theology. No, 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 no. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I want the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Who in their right mind thinks I want to go and appear before God? These men have to know that they would disintegrate in this life, in these bodies if they went before the Lord. But they're longing for the day. And I thought about this this morning when I reread this. These guys have had their prayer answered. They're longing. These men who wrote this are now in the presence of the Lord. Their soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Like a deer is panting for the flowing of the stream. So my, my soul pants for you, old God. Do you have any of that in you? Again, I alluded to I grew up doing some hunting. We didn't hunt deer. In fact, we scolded our dogs if they chased deer. But every now and then we'd have one that run after a deer. They'll run for miles and miles and miles. And I know these deers would get chased by wild kind of dogs, coyotes and wolves. And, and they're running and they're running and they're running and their heart's just beating. And if it's a day like we've been having heat and they're exhausted. And, and you know that their mind as they're going by the brook wants to stop and just chill and spend time and just drink and take it all in. But bless their heart, no time. they got to go, go, go. Life's busy. Does anything in you ever just think, man... If I can just get some time with the Lord, I am so thirsty for spending time with God. This week I thought about the day of my life that, to my knowledge, was the thirstiest day of my life physically. I want to get, think of that. Some of you be like, I can't even register. I, don't re I remember the single thirstiest day of my life. Again, it was on a hunting trip. I think I was around 12 years old. And I remember in the morning. I had my hunting coat. I think I had probably a Mountain Dew or something inside the hunting jacket. Should have had a lot more. And I remember they were saying, yeah, this is it. And they, they pointed to some mountains in the distance. They say, yeah, you see the one? No, not that, that one. No, yes, that's where we're going to be this evening. I'm like, oh, okay, that's great. It wasn't the walk. Had no problem with the walk. But somewhere along the way, boy, I drank what I had too early. And we were walking, and it was dry, and it was a warm October day, a little warmer. And I mean, I just felt parched, and we, we just didn't run into a creek. Finally, toward the end, we hit a little spring, and the dogs were over there just drinking all the water and the leaves, and they were walking all in it. You know what I did? I don't care, man. I'm drinking the nasty old water that they are walking upstream in. I mean, I'm burying my face. I am thirsty. How many of you remember the day you were the thirstiest in your life? Is anybody? There's probably a few people you're like, I remember an event. Just maybe a dozen of us. I hear Christ's words, and I think how thirsty I was on that day. And you know what I realized? Jeff, you got a long way to go to reach what Jesus is talking about. Christ's choice of words compared to real thirst. Jeff, you got a long way to go. One more quote from Barclay. He writes the following. So I want to ask questions. I love questions. They cause you to probe your soul. So use these questions. He writes, how much do you want goodness? Hear that. That's not rhetorical. Don't say out loud, but inside. 
In fact, could I ask you to do like scale of 1 to 10? How much do you want goodness, he asks. And then he follows, do you want it as much as a starving man wants food? And as much as a man dying of thirst wants water, unquote. How much do you want it? How much do you really want goodness? So I'm going to rephrase what he's asking. I'm going to ask some more questions. Just pretend for a moment you're before God and God makes a law. Anything that is wholesome here, God's going to throw out two options. You can this or this, and he's going to make it happen. You ready? He's going to make it happen. Be honest with yourself because this is no reason to play games. This is a good time to evaluate how hungry and thirsty are we for righteousness. If God were to say one or the other, I'll make it happen. You can be well-liked. There's a lot of us here this morning. You know what you really want? Some of you, some of you, this is like high on your list. I just want people to like me. If God says, do you want to be well-liked or holy? Pick. Second question. Do you want to be like really knowledgeable? I mean really, really knowledgeable and wise or holy? Further, this one will hit some because it's in us. I promise it's in some folks. God says, do you want to be like famous? I mean like really, really famous. I mean like where you can't really live in Anderson because everywhere you go in Anderson, you will never be able to go out to eat. It's kind of fun for a while and then it gets on your nerves because people keep coming. You're going to have to move to a city where there's other famous people who kind of realize, yeah, we don't mess with each other out at the restaurant. But you can't live in Anderson or Greenville. I mean famous, famous or holy. You say, Jeff, none of those move my needle. I don't really need that. I'm kind of a private person. If God were to say, I promise I'm going to do one or the other, you will be wealthy. I'm not talking about a nest egg of a half million dollars, three-quarter of a million dollars. I'm not talking about $10 million. I mean really, really wealthy. And God says, I'm going to do it for you. Imagine, be honest with yourself. God says, I will make you a multi, multi, double-digit billionaire, or do you want to be holy? And now if we're honest... Several just say, yeah, I'll be holy in heaven one day. I think in this life I will take the, the double-digit billionaire. I'll take, I'll take that. And then kind of work on my holiness. Some of you are like, none of those move me. What if God said, hey, you're sick and you're tired and you're pain and it's chronic and you just, it dominates your life. Do you want to be healthy or holy? Pick. How hungry are you? Hunger and thirst, you're like, Jeff, there was nothing revelatory there, right? I just want us to feel it, just taste it. Now I want to think of the second part as we're trying to understand the meaning of these two terms, of these terms. Think of this word righteousness because there's a little bit of a debate here. I'm going to offer two options, and I think each can have merit to it. Here's the first one. So there's a debate. Is this blessed are those who hunger and thirst? Hunger and thirst, we got it. It's deep, intense. Got to have this. I will die without this. This is an 8 or a 9 or a 10 on my list. I mean, I really, really want it. So there's hunger and thirst. What does this mean for righteousness? First kind of righteousness we could say is this. And this really is a form of righteousness. Watch. It's being right with God, in a right standing with God. It's the person who realizes my life, because I'm a sinner, born in sin, and commit acts of sin, and have a nature that loves sin. I am at enmity with God. I am the enemy of God. I'm opposing him, and he's always going to win. I'm going to lose this. I want to go from this. I want to be in this. I am hungry and thirsty. I need a right relationship with God, a right standing with God. There's that, and then there's another kind of righteousness. And it's not just that it's right living for God so the first one is he saying blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a right standing with God or is it blessed are those who are who hunger and thirst for right living for God righteousness in the life which of the two and so briefly I want to touch the first and then offer to you that I think it's mainly talking about the second right standing you write this down? We've already touched on it, but I'll hit it again. All people, maybe someone here this morning, all people who will see themselves as poor in spirit, I mean bankrupt 
abject poverty, no righteousness whatsoever. All of those people who see that in themselves and they see their sin and will mourn over their sin, if they will let that drive them to God, so much so that they're so hungry and thirsty for a right standing with God, watch. They ask God, Lord, would you please, because you promised you would, would you let Jesus' righteousness be applied to me? I know he's took my sin. I'm asking because you promised you would. And by faith, I'm going to receive it. Would you let Jesus' righteousness be applied to my account? Guys, this is actually, I don't want to get theological here this morning. I'm going to throw out the word. It's the word justification. This is a part of justification. You ever heard this? You have heard this. It's where when we ask God to save us and we're asking him, Lord, would you apply Christ's righteousness? It's the word imputed. After you write that, if you look this way. Imagine the scales of God. Here's justification, a part of justification. Justification is where God declares the sinner righteous. I declare the sinner righteous. By the way, when God says you're righteous, you have righteousness. You have righteousness. You say, that's what I'm starving for. That's what I, I need the most. That may be a person or a few people here this morning. What it is is the scale of God's justice lays the law, all the demands, all the don'ts, all the do's are put on one side. And it's very, very heavy. All you have to do to have that right relationship with God and live with him here and forever is to put your righteousness on the other side. And if you can balance it out, then everything is great. But here's the problem. We don't have any righteousness. In fact, we have lots of sin. And so the law goes down and up we go. But in salvation, a person in essence is saying, God, would you impute Would you impute Christ's righteousness in my column, in my account? And when you ask that and believe that he will do it, I mean, you could do it like right now. You say, I kind of am making sense of this analogy. I'm kind of seeing that. If right now, right where you sit or where you're watching this online, I mean, at this moment, if you will believe that, God says... He sent his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If anyone at this moment would say, God, I'm going to take you up on that. I want Jesus' righteousness put in my column. It is done. It is balanced out. You have righteousness. You will be satisfied. The imputed righteousness of Christ. Can't lose it. But then something happens. After salvation, after the imputed righteousness of Christ... Christian, you should know this. God's Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. Literally, God himself comes and moves inside of us. Now that we're saved, we have the imputed righteousness of Christ. Holy Spirit comes and moves inside. You know what he does? He starts creating a new appetite. It's almost like I'm a different person. This wasn't there before. I want to live righteously. I'm not just satisfied being saved from my sins. I want to now live a righteous life for the Lord. I'm not doing it. I'm far from perfect, but I want to move in that direction. That's what happened. God's Holy Spirit comes inside, creates new desires. And the desires are twofold. I want to emphasize this. Hungry and thirsting for righteousness is not just, boy, I just want to stop sinning. The Holy Spirit helps you want to complete and fulfill and accomplish the will of God. It's not just the imputed righteousness of Christ. It is the imparted righteousness of Christ. Literally, he's living in me now. He's created new desires. I'm a new creature. That whole dynamic is called sanctification. The first one where he imputes Christ's righteousness in a column for us, that is salvation. After salvation, Holy Spirit comes in. He creates desires, urges, appetites. I mean, I've got to have this. I want this. He creates a new thing where, again, it is not just I, now I don't want to sin. He even gives us power to defeat sin that was never there. But now I want to actually serve God as well. I want to serve God. That is called sanctification. And that process is going to run for the rest of our life. Salvation, one time. One time. The Bible never says you get born again and born again and born again and again and again. That's people who think you can lose your salvation. Salvation is a one-time thing. Sanctification in this life is the process where the Holy Spirit creates those new desires. That, I believe, is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who, after being poor in spirit and mourning over their sin and being meek toward other, other people, realize their emptiness, and now they want to be filled with the righteousness of the Lord. There's a new dynamic inside. Second thought this morning, and this one's more brief. Very, very practical. This one's super practical. Habits reveal hungers. Can we talk about that for a moment? 
Habits reveal hungers, don't they? Our habits reveal what we're hungry for. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Habits reveal what we're... So here's my question. What do your habits say about you? So I want to flesh that out just for a moment. Uh, I had a thought. What if there was like one angel somewhere in the universe in heaven and for some reason he's never been assigned to go to earth and he's clueless and he finally gets an... Um, work with me, okay? This is, I'm sure this doesn't exist. So they've never seen these physical bodies. Just pretend there's this one guy. Hey, guess what? You finally get to go. All right, I want you to go down there and you're going to go down to South Carolina and you're going to watch this group of people. If, they, if that angel just came and watched, do you know what they would see? They would see these strange creatures. You say, no, they're the strange creatures. Right, yeah, whatever. They would see us. And if they just watched us, they, it wouldn't take long to figure out. Every day, night, every time, and throughout, they keep going to these, like, and this substance, this liquid comes out, and they do that. And they go and they hit the water fountain and they're hitting the faucet and they hit the refrigerator and they hit the pantry and they go to the restaurant every day, all the time. You know what it would reveal? These creatures apparently have to have certain things just to survive, just to live. They have to have food and water and the other angels will go, yeah, everybody knows that. Where have you been? Well, I've never been able to come. I've been on other, okay, duh. They have to have it. They're hungry and thirsty for food and for water. Now, that's physical. In the same way, our habits, that's revealing, they have to have that to live. Mind your habits reveal certain things about you. I want you to write four things, and then let's briefly think about them after that. Your television shows, your computer history, your gaming log, and that is not just specific to video gaming, though it certainly applies there. It goes broader than that. And your reading habits, we could have put a dozen things. I picked four. Your television shows, your computer ga history, your gaming log, and your, re your reading habits reveal what you have an appetite for. So think with me for a moment. This is very practical. It's not really theology. It's not theological. If you listed out the last 25 television shows, movies, whatever it is you watch on TV, that says what you're hungry for. If you saw the last 25 things that I watched, when I get the remote, it's crystal clear what Jeff likes. It's 95% of the time some kind of sport. This is an awful time. Christy, don't tell your dad what I'm about to say, but come on, girls softball, please. Don't. Give me something better than that. Thankfully, there is a little bit of NBA playoffs going on. But it's, anyway. Sports, that's, that's, if I get to pick, we're going to watch sports and then maybe four minutes of news until the flesh. Oh, I can't take any more of that. i got to get off of that and back over to sports. If there's a good movie every now and then, praise the Lord, I'll watch, I'll watch that. But that's, you know, what is, your, what is your viewing habits on television? I challenge you, what is your, compu what is your computer history? Have you ever looked on your, your computer on my computer, it's up on the top bar over on the left side, and it just says the word history. I want to challenge you guys. Would you do this? Go home, even today, and click on the word history. Hang with me. Do this. Go home, click on the word history, and where it says, and review more. It'll show you recent history. It'll show you yesterday. It'll show you the day before that. Click on what you have been looking at. That says what you were hungry for. Your gaming log, and again, we could talk about, you say, yeah, those that are wasting their life and wasting time, they play all kind of video games. Listen, you like to go hunting and fishing. You say, there's nothing wrong with hunting and fishing. Not inherently anything wrong with playing video games. But hunting, fishing, shopping, golfing, playing basketball, boating, camping, whatever it is, how much of that have you been doing how often you do it, for how long you do it, says something that you're hungry for. You're like, Jeff, are you preaching against these things? No, I'm making an observation. I'm not preaching against using your computer. I'm not preaching against watching TV. Some of you are avid readers. Those of you who read a lot, I want to challenge you. Look, take out, literally stack them up. The last ten books that you've read, what do they say you were hungry for? If it's just a bunch of fiction and novels and... Anyway, that's what you're hungry for. That's what you're starving for. That says a lot about you. If you're working crazy hours at work, 
and your goal is to climb the corporate ladder, that says what you are hungry for. Write this one down. This is a dead giveaway. Where your mind goes when you're given a free moment. You know when you don't have to think about something. It's just you, maybe riding down the road. Whatever you, whatever you want to think about, that's a dead giveaway. You're like, my mind always runs toward that. That's what you hungry, hunger and thirst for. Tomorrow, many of us have a day off. I realize tomorrow is unusual. But if every Sunday night going into a typical Monday has you constantly thinking about the next day off, you're like, but I'm in a day off, right? If Sunday and you're in a day off and you're already thinking about the next day off and can't wait till that or the next vacation, that's what you're hungry for. That's a sign. Share this thought and we'll move to the third point in a moment. There are many, many people, some here this morning, some here this morning, I want you to really dial in on this point. There are many, many people who honestly in their mind consider themselves to be a Christian. But the fact is they have very little appetite for God. Please understand what I'm about to say. I'm not preaching against it. I'm just making an observation. They, in their brain, they would raise their hand. If I said, raise your hand if you know you're going to heaven, if you know you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, they would raise their hand. But here's the fact. Their life says, all those things we just looked at, the evidence is they have very little appetite for God. Watch. They will gladly pay $12 to go sit in a dark room with a big screen and watch a movie for two, two and a half hours and never bat an eye and never think about the time. They'll pay $50 to go watch a three and a half hour game and it's exciting if we go to overtime and let's make it four hours long as we win. And never think about the time. But when they come to church, literally they come in the door and as soon as the music starts, their brain defaults. Now how long we got? And their clock, they have an internal clock that is running and if it makes it to noon, most don't. But in noon, it shuts down. Guys, if that is you, something is wrong. If you go sit at football for three and a half hours, never bat an eye, watch a basketball game, two and a half hours, a movie. There's one out right now, three-hour movie that's out. I hadn't seen it. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it. I'm not preaching against that. All I'm saying is if you can do that and then fool yourself by saying, well, the psychologists say our attention span is only, your attention span is three and a half hours when you want it to be. But you come to the house of God and we're on a clock. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. If you have no spiritual appetite and you only come because your spouse makes you come or because you were raised in it, you're going to check a, check a little thing in your mind there. I did the church thing. If you have no spiritual appetite, then one of two things is true. You are spiritually dead or you're spiritually sick. Because you don't have an appetite. Dead things don't have an appetite. And sick people don't have proper appetites. So we got to ask ourselves, have I ever been brought to life spiritually? Have I ever asked God to impute Christ's righteousness to my column? If you have, you say, I know I've done that. Then what has made you spiritually sick so that you have all this appetite for this? And just like, no, I'll I'll give it an hour and a half. And really, I I would like it if it was like 1125. Isn't it time to go like right now? What makes us sick? I think it's just like in the physical world. Listen, if you feed on unhealthy things, you're not going to have an appetite for healthy things. Christian, if you feed your mind and your soul and you're constantly consuming sinful words, sinful sounds, sinful images, Sinful musing and thoughts and meditations and contemplations, fantasy. You, you, you feast on that all the time. You're not going to have an appetite for the things of God. It is going to suppress that. Like, okay, Jeff's preaching against sinful things. Sinful images, sinful sounds, sinful words, sinful contemplations, musings, and meditations. Guys, it's more than that. Even if they're not sinful, but they simply compete against the things of God, those things that I listed earlier, they're not sinful things. Watching TV, getting on your computer, gaming, reading, none of that. That's fine. Going to a ball game, I love it. I confess I love that. Going out playing golf, shopping, whatever. 
hunting, fishing, wonderful. But if you can do that all day long and no appetite for God, then maybe those things are satisfying cheaply what you really should be pointing toward the Lord. And that takes us to our third thought, number three. Developing hunger for righteousness. Developing hunger for righteousness. And really, can I mail two thoughts into one? I'm going to anyway, whether you... If you want to write the word pursuing righteousness above that, I know it's probably tight. I don't know how the outline breaks out on the handout. I, don't, I want to talk not just about developing a hunger for righteousness, but also pursuing righteousness. Today's message is not deeply theological. It's very practical. And so I want to have a couple of thoughts. How do we develop? How do we pursue this righteousness? Jeff, I think I'm sick. What do we need to do? Number one, it begins with, are you listening? Jeff, you just talked about this one last week. Listen. It begins with daily confession. That's where it starts. Can we have 1 John chapter 1? I don't know if that's on the same screen, but it begins with confession. Look at that. He said, Jeff, you just used this verse last week. Guys, if, pretend, if someone hungers and thirsts for righteousness, I mean, that, they're starving for it. They're thirsting for righteousness. That is like awesome news right there. If I am hungry and thirsty, for, I, just, I just want some righteousness. Then this tells me, whoa, 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 this is good news. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, always does it, and just. He has the right to do it. He punished our sins in Christ on the cross. He is faithful and just to forgive us and forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm telling you, if someone is hungry and thirsty for righteousness, that's like the best news ever. Are you saying that I can, so unrighteousness comes and it's clinging to me, I can take this to God? Yes. Jeff, you're awfully excited about 1 John 1, 9, even though you just preached on it last week and like four weeks ago you hit it again. This ought to be like life verse for us. You say, well, if I sinned, I think I probably would. That's the problem. Here's the issue. So I emphasized this two weeks ago. A Christian's relationship with God can never be broken. But our fellowship with God is broken by daily sin. Why? Because it's real simple. Y'all know this, but we need to hear the simple stuff today. Sin offends God. And when God gets offended, he does the same thing you do. He withdraws. Now, God's Holy Spirit will never leave us, but he will certainly withdraw. I'm going to confess to you. I know the difference between when, when, when the Lord is present and recognizable in my life and when I have sinned so much, got cold toward him that he has withdrawn. I know the difference there. This is the first step. You say, I, I'm hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Start right here. I've got to ask you guys. How often do you take the spiritual trash out? How often do you take the trash out? Do you take the trash? Be honest with yourself. Like really go through these exercises. With do you, can you say, Jeff, there is a time every day at a set time. I take the spiritual trash out. I confess my sin. I claim 1 John 1, 9 or some other verse like it. And I receive forgiveness of, of, my, forgiveness of my sin and cleansing of unrighteousness. And that gets me through the day. Are there others of you just being honest, not proud, not modest, just being honest? She's like, Jeff, I can't even make it like just once a day. I have to do this like through the day or as needed, which means multiple times. Do you do it immediately? Here's what's sad. There is a true Christian. You really have put your faith and trust in Christ, but your habit has being, you, if you're honest, you say, I don't do this ever. I never take this step. Then no wonder you're like, have not much appetite for God. It's being choked out by previous sin. Look at Psalm 51. That withdrawal of the Holy Spirit, that withdrawal of God's presence, that's what this person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness wants to avoid at all costs. Look what David writes in Psalm 51 after he had committed a great sin with Bathsheba and her husband. Uriah having him killed after adultery with her. Look at Psalm 51, verse 10. Is this you? This sounds like Matthew 5, 6. Here's his prayer. Create in me 
This is like, God, i, I got to have this done again. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, God. I, mean, I, I can sense David. Man, this, this guy, he's, he's, he's like top dog in the Old Testament in my book. Maybe one or two others right there with him. But David, you've heard me say, David is the man in the Old Testament. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, oh, God. And renew a right spirit within me. I've had it before. I know I don't have it now. Renew a right spirit within me. Verse 11. Here, this is the key. Cast me not away from your presence. I want your presence. Please don't withdraw your presence from me. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. There's a whole dynamic. I don't have time to teach and preach on it. I alluded a while ago. Once the Holy Spirit comes in our life, he never is taken away. We never lose our salvation. They didn't have that in the Old Testament. So David is the king of Israel he don't want to run the nation without the Holy Spirit being on him and in him. He's had it. And so now he's sinned and the Holy Spirit has withdrawn and he's begging God, please, I want that back. That matters more than anything. Please let me have your presence back. It begins with daily confession. Number two, more practicality. We're going to get very practical here. It requires choosing Christ over other things. Say, so Jeff, if, this is two part here. Jeff, if I hunger and thirst for righteousness, got any tips? Yeah, begin with confession. Get rid of the unrighteousness. Number two, choose Christ over other things. But you say, Jeff, what if I don't actually have the hunger and thirst for righteousness? Got any tips? Yeah, begin with confession. And then choose Christ over other things. Do you know that you can develop new appetites? How? Choke out wrong appetites choke out competing you say they're not simple choke out competing appetites create new appetites I thought of churches some churches do y'all know that some churches have like identities that's they're kind of known for that some churches I'm, I'm not being mean here I'm, I'm really I'm, I'm not actually thinking of specific actually I have thought of some but at this moment I'm not thinking of specific I'm going to throw some just general things, and hopefully the Lord will keep my mind from thinking of specific churches. Do you know that there are some churches who are built on entertaining, singing? That's the singing church. That's their identity. That's what their people crave. It's kind of like a concert. They have the performers, and then they have the spectators. People come in, and they sing a little, but really the, the highest point of the service is the concert. And they really make a big deal about who goes down low and who sings real high and how awesome the, and how awesome the um, harmony is. And they look at all of that and they put that all together. And honestly, it's like when a person hits a high note, because I've been there. I've been in that and I've wanted that. Like, I remember a buddy of mine in college. We go to church and somebody be singing and we'll be sitting there spectating and they hit out and they go on the high note like, oh, sweet. And we want to high five, right? That is awesome. Or the harmony like, oh. Or did you see how long they held that note? And that's what really moved our needle. Other churches, it's some things like bingo, feel good stories. Stories. I promise you. There's a lot of pastors who they feel pressure every week, so they go to the internet or they buy illustration books. Jeff, do you have illustration books? I do. I have a few. I haven't opened them probably in two years. I'm not against using illustration books. I'm not saying they're sinful. All I'm saying is there are some pastors who I believe have a mental template in their head. Begin, like when they're getting ready to preach next week. Oh, what am I going to do? Funny story to open the service. I got to have entertaining story, interesting story in the middle, a couple more, maybe another funny one. Got to finish with a sad story. Always finish with note, finish with sad story. Got to get on the internet, got to find sad story. Got to move and got to get them. Cry. So people walk away, we laugh, we cry. Boy, it's a great day at church. Person hit the high note. We're going to play bingo Wednesday or Thursday, and we do outreach, and, and, and which is a wonderful thing, but that's the identity is like feeding the poor. Some, it is not even that. It's political speeches. Every week is a political speech. And stir up the troops. And they're known as the Democratic Church or the Republican Church. Guys, I want to tell you something. There are other churches who have developed through time a different appetite. I'm going to propose to you that a church that has a steady diet of the Word of God, if you put them in another church where it's all about entertaining, concert-style singing, 
or bingo is what we get excited about, or we're excited about you know, funny stories or cute stories or political speeches, and you don't give the word of God, they're going to walk away very dissatisfied. I believe the others can develop an appetite and will develop an appetite for the word of God, but once you've tasted of the good word of God, you don't want to go back to that other. It is so dissatisfying. That same dynamic is not just in churches. It is in your personal life. So I'm going to invite you. Ask yourself in an honest way, do I need to get rid of not sinful things, but fine things. Fine things that have been competing with Christ and I've been giving them too much attention. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit, would you put... Would he put his finger, his hand, upon anything in your life that you're like, I get more juiced and excited about that, and it's evident by my life. My habits reveal, I like that, that, I'm more hungry for that, I'm more thirsty for that, than I am for the things of God. Maybe you need to do something and like put that out of your life for a time. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say what I've planned to say here. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Many of us can recall making impactful godly decisions at camp or at a retreat I want you to think about that because I'm going to ask for a raise of hands I got saved in 1979 at a youth bible camp nine years old that's a pretty impactful decision I'm not asking if you kept it perfectly how many of you say Jeff now some of you are like they didn't really do youth camps when I was a kid but some of us we grew up in it would you raise your hand if you're like, Jeff, I, I know that I've gone to a retreat or a camp and I made, I made a decision for Christ in some way. Would you raise your hand? Hold it high just for a moment. That is over half of this congregation. That is 60%, 65%. Often it's not day one. It isn't often day two. For me, it was the third night. Why? You get up there and you put the distractions away and they run you like crazy and they feed you and you're thrown out there with some people you don't know. Introverted little nine-year-old went off to camp, scared to death. Thankfully, his brother, went, older brother went with him, so I knew somebody. I knew my cousin, and I didn't know my uncle, but I didn't really know anybody else, and I don't really see them all day. All I know is on Monday night, boy, I got really convicted, and Tuesday night I got really convicted, and Wednesday night I asked Jesus to save me, and he did. Why? You get these distractions out of your life. Is God saying there's something in your life? It's not sin. It's just been competing. So yesterday I wrote a thought, and I'm going to read it. It has become a real challenge to get people to set aside distractions for a couple of hours on Sundays, much less for a week. We can't even give it up for a couple of hours on Sunday. Do you know there are people that come to church, they can't go two hours without checking Facebook. Why? Because the Bible is boring. Something is wrong with you if that is you. Can you not give God two hours, cut it off, and don't go to it? I think it makes God sick. Can't you put it away for a few minutes? Guess not. What does he have to do? I'm a nice guy, I promise. I promise I'm not mean. Number three, Jeff got any tips. Would you remember this? The goal is to know Christ. So, Jeff, what does it mean we're hungry and thirsting for, for righteousness? I'm going to propose to you it means you hunger and thirst for Jesus. He's righteous. It's not just I want less sin. Certainly, that's it. I, I want to know him. Do y'all remember Moses? Moses said, God, show me your glory. I mean, he begs for it. And God says, I'm going to give you a little, little quick, quick look. You'll see my back. You can't handle the front. Moses, uh, David, man, it's, that, I don't get it. David says, I love your law. You love law? I love your law. Paul is in prison, and he writes a letter to the Philippians. This is a man who late in his ministry has written most of the books of the New Testament that he's going to write. He only has a few left to write. He's in prison. He thinks he's going to die soon. You know what he writes to them? Oh, that I may know Christ. Paul, you know more about Christ. You know him better than anyone. His attitude is, I want to know him more. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to even know what it's like to suffer with him. I want to know Jesus. And then here we are. Are we hungry and thirsty? Can we have on the screen Psalm 37? It's the last verse I'll use. We were there last week, but here we're for a different purpose today. Look at, Psalm, look at that. 
Fret not because of evildoers, but look at all the good stuff they've got. Look, they're getting by with it. Look at all the things. Look how popular and famous. I want that. No, 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 no. You don't want that. Look at this verse, guys. Delight yourself in the Lord. And here's a promise. You do A, he'll do B. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Here's how we hear that in America. All right, God, let me get this straight. If I kind of delight in you, you're going to give me all the stuff I want. And so we kind of delight in him. And after a few days, a few weeks, the Bible doesn't seem to be true. Why? We didn't get the prized recruit. We lost the championship game. Lord, I did this. I did A, you didn't do B. No. I didn't get the new job. I didn't get the raise. I didn't get the car. We didn't get the house. We didn't get the child. I didn't get the boyfriend. I've been doing this. God, what's the problem? You lied. No, no, no. You didn't do A. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It doesn't mean you pretend to do this and I'll give you all the other things you want. Write this down. When our greatest desire is in God himself, that's the key. When our greatest desire is in God himself, y'all help me for a second. That's just part of the note. Help me. If someone delights in chocolate and you want to give them what they desire, what are you going to give them? Chocolate. Delight yourself in the Lord, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. Right, you'll give me all these things. No, 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 no. God says, you truly delight in me, and I'll give you me. Don't crave them and envy them. They have nothing. The reward, which was in one of our songs, I'm the reward. Delight in me. I'll give you me. He's what we hunger for. Write it down. No Christian is content with their knowledge of Christ. Or their obedience to him. I believe that. I know I'm not. No real Christian is content. I think I'm good. I've got enough knowledge of him. I want other things now. No, I think I'm obedient enough. If I can just stay this level of obedience till I die, then I'll go to heaven and I'll be perfect after that. No Christian thinks that. Anybody that thinks that, that's a sign of an unbeliever. So I'm going to come down the home stretch and I'm going to talk quickly, but I don't want anybody to miss this. I realize my time is gone. When we hunger to know God, let's keep real here. When we hunger to know God, we will talk to him and we will listen to him. And when that hunger and thirst is there to know God because he really is the righteousness we're after, his favor, his pleasure, obedience to him, when that's in place, we're going to talk to him, we're going to listen to him, and I'm going to propose to you, when that hunger is in place, then reading, studying God's word, and prayer are not chores. At that point, they're looked at as like a lifeline. I've got to have this. This is not a check off my list. God, I've got to talk to you. God, I've got to hear from you. Lord, I just need some time in prayer. It becomes a priority when that exists. I'm going to go further. Some of you are going to go, home, boy, Jeff really was mean today. When we really hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will not be satisfied with occasional attendance at God's house where he's being worshipped and taught and preached about and celebrated among his people. You'll not be satisfied with that. If you're happy with the occasion, I understand we all miss from time to time. I understand vacation season's coming. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about legalism and putting you guys under a yoke. I'm just saying when the hunger and thirst for righteousness is real and the hunger and thirst is for God and you know that's going on over there and you want to live in his pleasure, then you're going you're gonna to gravitate toward that. You might even get really crazy and start making radical decisions like coming out on Wednesday nights or being part of a Bible study. Or joining a small group. Or get really crazy. You say, what's really crazy? Getting up early in the morning so you can spend time with the Lord before you go to bed. I missed something earlier. I want to go back. Yeah. I missed a note. and It was back before number three. Pursuit of righteousness demands priorities. Pursuit of righteousness demands priorities. Can I repeat something very quickly that I said several weeks ago? 
I don't do this perfectly, and please understand, I'm not setting me up here and you somewhere else. Something I've tried to put in my life, I've missed it. But in the main, this is true. Years ago, I determined, and I've said it before, Jeff, no Bible, no, no breakfast. That's me. You say, I just can't do the morning thing. No scripture, then no, no sleep. Can't go to bed. You're like, that's legalism. I want to talk about that in just a moment. I'm going to, I'm going to offer you. I'm going to invite you. Set some things up in your life. Make some choices. Choose Christ over other things. You say, I like watching TV. What if you made this as a rule? No TV till I've spent time with God. No computer. No computer. Not going, not, not going to get on it till I've spent time with God. I like being on the computer. Spend time with God. No books. But I like to read. What if I kind of read? Don't read another book before you've read. Because you're, you're admitting, I do have time to read. If you pick up that novel or that history book or that devotional or that daily bread, you know, daily bread, that's a good thing. If all you do is pick up the daily bread but you don't get it here, what you're doing is saying, God, what you told them who shared it with them, who wrote about it in this, and they published it to me. I'm spending time with the Lord. No, that's fine. This is the real. It's like, God, I just want to hear straight from you. Let's just kind of not do all this. Let's just you to me. No games, no golf, no shopping, no hunting, no fishing, no camping, no boating, no swimming. I'm going to spend time with the Lord. And if that strikes you as legalistic, then you're missing my point. Because here's where I want to go. Jeff, what if I don't have that hunger? What if I don't? Chicken or the egg? What was first? Was it chicken or the egg? Did the chicken come from the egg or did the eggs come from the chicken? The chicken came first but still you get the point we're doing a what's first hunger for righteousness or doing these other things that create a hunger for righteousness if you're sitting here this morning you're saying I have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness the Lord's put something put his hand on something in my life I need to put that away even if for a season because it's kind of dominating and competing it's not sinful I got to put that away for because I need I need to invest more I'm kind of sick my appetite isn't where it need to be for the Lord great but if you're like, I don't have hardly any, then start making some choices to put some other things out of your life and go to these. Maybe it is a, a get up early in the morning or maybe it is a Bible study or a small group or come out on a Wednesday night or be more faithful to the, to, to the Lord's house and see if God won't use that to start creating some new appetites. Your last note's coming in. Jesus is describing a cycle. It goes like this. When we desire him by faith, and then you say, I'm not even there yet. Well, then jump to number two. When you choose him over other things, then he draws near. I'm telling you, this is what the text is describing. We choose Christ over other things. He draws near. All of a sudden, his presence, if you ever have a God encounter, that's the difference between churches that like just want to go through the motion. I don't want to ever be a church that just goes through the motion. I want every time. It may look, sometimes he may rebuke me. Sometimes he may encourage me. Sometimes he may instruct me. Sometimes he may just tell me that he loves me. But I want every time I go to church, I want God to encounter me, and I don't want to just sit and be impressed with some singer or preacher or speaker or building. I want more than that. I want a God encounter. When that happens, he is always satisfying. But something else happens. The cycle keeps going. He's so satisfying. It's not like, hey, that's good. Now to my other things. No, I, I want more of him. And so he's so satisfying, it creates a greater desire to know him more. And so I start choosing him over other things even more. He starts showing up and revealing himself even more. That's new satisfying. But now that new satisfaction makes me. You're like, Jeff, it's getting late. You could keep doing this. I understand you get the point. I close with this. Man, I've got a lot of mean points in hindsight. But this one's true. If you can live a sinful life of unrighteousness and not be bothered by it. Let me say that again. If this, this is your life. Watch. You can just live a sinful life filled with unrighteousness and not be bothered by it, you have a serious, serious problem. Say, so how serious? By the authority of the word of God, I feel that I could say you are on your way to hell. Say, it never bothers me. You're like, what, what are you, wait, wait, now, preacher, what are you trying to say? You Christians are perfect? Hang on. 
I'll read. I go faster. Not, we're not perfect. A true Christian, to listen, never accomplishes full obedience. A true Christian never does. Not in this life. But they hunger for it. And they go after it. It may be a baby step, but they go after it. True Christians have been hearing this sermon today, even though it's not been hugely Bible, deep, theological. Only 10 verses. Last week, 40-some verses. This week, only 10. But something in them says, I need to start making some steps. Something struck. The rest, when is he going to shut up? Literally, that's the thought. A Christian may hear an imperative of Christ, and it sounds daunting and difficult, but something in them says, I want to do it. I want to do it. Man, that may be tough, but Lord, move me. I want to be there where I have that in my life. That's a Christian. An unbeliever doesn't have that. The most righteous person in this room, whoever that is, God knows, I can promise you this, they don't know they are the most righteous person. And they do not feel like they've arrived. And they are dissatisfied with where they're at in their walk with the Lord. And they are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And if you're sitting here saying, I have none of that, that's a bad sign. You may need to begin right here. i got to go back to that right standing. I've got to go back and have that initial, God, would you please apply the righteousness of Christ. Impute it to my account. Christian, if you're sitting here and your attitude is, I know I'm saved. But man, I don't, my, my appetite for righteousness and for God has been really waning. Then something is wrong. Do you need to go back and go back to the daily confession? Or do you need to go back and you say, I confess all the time. Do you need to go back and maybe get rid of something sinful in the life that's been killing your appetite? Or something fine in the life that's been competing and suppressing your appetite for Christ? But just remember the goal. Lord, move me to where I delight in you because I know that's where you keep your promise. You are, and you reward those who diligently seek you. Would you stand and let's pray. Father, would you, even now, speak to Christians? Father, even now, Lord, I'm praying, would you put your finger on, on an action step? Lord, do we need to just go back to daily confession? Lord, do we need to go back to hourly confession on the move? Or do we need to make 1 John 1, 9 our life verse? Father, do we need to choose you over fine things? Or Lord, is there some Christians need to choose you over sinful things that's really choking out their appetite for you? Lord, as you've spoken to me in my own life, would you speak to those here this morning in very specific ways that it doesn't come from Jeff. It's you. And then, Lord, would you reward them with your presence, your recognizable presence. Meet them there. And, Lord, I, let it be that we begin with some hunger and thirst, and it grows. But, Lord, if someone does not have hunger and thirst, would they still choose you over lesser things? And then, God, you draw near, and they sent you a satisfying so satisfying they hunger for more and more. Lord, make us like that. Lord, we want that blessing. Father, I pray for anyone who's yet to put their faith in Christ. God, would you let them right now, right now, just say, God, I'm a sinner. I have sinned. I can't bring anything to you. I can't try to earn my way to heaven. I've messed up. And I'm sorry. God, would you let them just... Express their sorriness to you. And then, Lord, would you give them some faith to pray. For God, you promised. And so I'm going to ask. Would you let Jesus' righteousness be given for me? And then let it be starting to be worked into me. God, would you give them that faith right now? And then save them.